We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Wednesday at 10, 9 central, get ready for your newest TV addiction. The new series, Pure, premiering on WGN America. Pure is based on the true events of the Mennonite mob. You heard right, Mennonites. The show is about Noah Funk, the newly elected Mennonite pastor, who is determined to rid his community of the mob and drugs, but he's way in over his head. Get hooked on Pure, series premiere Wednesday at 10, 9 central, only on WGN America. Available on DirecTV channel 307, Dish channel 239, or check your local cable listings. What's going on, everyone? Buzzbee Podcast, episode 88. This is Richie. I will be joined by Brian Geisinger, co-host, contributor of Sports Channel 8, as well as accsports.com writer. We are without Spencer today. Uh, he is busy with family in town. Just a reminder, we are a proud member of the Blue Wire Network, so be sure to check out the website bluewirepods.com for more content. Also, we'd really appreciate a rating and review on iTunes. It does take all but like a minute to do. So uh, we would love if you could do that as well. On today's episode, we will be breaking down the back-to-back games from Saturday and Sunday with the Suns and the Pacers. Before we begin, though, let's check in on Brian. How's everything going up there in the uh, triangle? Things are things are good, Richie. Uh, the ACC season is, is hectic right now. Uh, I was at Cameron for Duke, Virginia Saturday night, which is a Really entertaining, uh, high-level game. Uh, getting to see Zion Williamson up close again, plus DeAndre Hunter and R.J. Barrett. So that was a lot of fun. And we've got, uh, I mean, there's even more. You know, tonight, another top 10 ACC matchup, Virginia Tech at UNC. So that should be fun. And so um, not getting to watch the Hornets live as much as I would as I would uh, like to, mm-hmm. but was able to watch them live against the Pacers. But no, overall... Weekend was nice. I needed like a weekend to like catch up on sleep and exercise a little bit and stuff. So yeah, no, this weekend was watched a lot of hoops and, and did all that other stuff too. So no, this was uh things are good. How about you, uh, down in your down in your neck of the woods? Yeah, hectic too. You know, you know, you balance ACC sports and and the Hornets, and I know that you're probably watching playoff football as well. But those games, a little bit. yeah, those games the other the other night were awesome uh, to watch. I actually. Um, 
I had to delay the start of the the Hornets game against the Pacers because of that Saints game, and so mm-hmm. glad, so glad Saints lost. And then yeah. I tuned into the uh, the Patriots Chiefs game after the Hornets game after I caught up with it on DVR, and it happened to be at the the perfect point in the game in the fourth quarter where just they were going back and forth, and you know Mahomes was leading them down uh, for a game tying field yeah. goal. But yeah, playoffs are playoffs are. Uh, Fun to watch, uh, and um, I'll be rooting for the. I think I'm going to root for the Rams. What about you? I'm definitely rooting for the Rams. Yeah, uh, without a doubt. I'm like I'm. I'm ordering Rams T-shirts and hats, <laughs> and but yeah, no. The the games yesterday watched a little bit of, of both playoff games, and they were certainly entertaining. Yeah, definitely going for the Rams in the Super Bowl here, though. Very good. Well, let's let's jump on in. Both the Hornets and the Suns coming in on one day's rest for this uh, first game on Saturday. This game was in Charlotte. The Hornets never trailed and won the game comfortably, 135-115. Charlotte absolutely dominated on the boards, out-rebounding Phoenix 53-26. to Crazy to see that number. Uh, Charlotte also had an offensive rebounding percentage of 39%, which helped them get 23 second-chance points. Kimball led the way with 21 points, but he also got help from seven other Hornets. Seven other Hornets were in double figures, uh, including Lamb with 18. So everyone was pitching in, and then the players that were like very close to that double-digit mark were right up there like with eight or nine points. So it's good to see that it's just not all on Kimba's shoulders. So I guess I actually want to start by discussing the Hornets and transition. Mm-hmm. If you actually check my first tweet from this game, I point out the fact that the Hornets uh, are pushing the pace off of misses. They struggled a tiny bit uh, when they were forced to set up in the half court, and it was a little bit methodical. And But I, I just feel like this needs to be more of a thing with the Hornets in terms of just transition. I think they play better this way. Uh, they have players like Kemba, MKG, Lamb that can push the pace and take it coast to coast, or at least force teams to scramble and get out of position. And I looked this up on cleaning the glass, and, and this these numbers back up, back up what I'm saying. Charlotte is ninth in the NBA. Uh, in points added per 100 possessions, transition possessions, that is. But they're only 16th in the league in terms of how often they do this. So I think maybe the biggest thing for me, Brian, maybe they don't do it as often because they, that would require stops, right? Like yeah, to tra- yes, yeah, <laughs> so, 100%. But yeah, I, don't, I don't know if that's the sole reason. I think they should take advantage of any chance they can get off steals or off misses to push the ball up in transition, but I guess, yes, this would require stops for them to be a little bit more uh, frequent in transition. Mm-hmm. So uh, any thoughts on the transition often with the Hornets and then just other thoughts on this Suns game? Yeah, the, look, the the Hornets thought they did well uh, against, some, against the Suns. Hornets averaged 6.6 seconds per possession after a live ball turnover by Phoenix, and they scored 1.8 points per possession on that. They averaged 10.6 seconds per possession after defensive rebound against the Suns, um, 1.75 points per possession. That was best in the NBA on Saturday night. So that, that was that was good to see. Look, Phoenix is a is an awful team, right? Um, there are a bunch of traffic cones defensively, and but I thought the Hornets did a lot of good stuff getting into transition and in the half court, cut like cutting hard. I thought one of the better games they've had moving without the ball offensively in the half court. Um, thought they got a couple good looks um, countering some of the Phoenix switches by by slipping to the hoop, uh-huh. which I thought was important. Charlotte also gets up 29 three-point attempts uh, with no defender within four-plus feet. Uh, you know, 16 to 29 on those looks, 55%. In total in this game, Charlotte hit 16 three-pointers, but 14 were off the catch. This was not one of those games. Like, 
to your point that it didn't have to all be Kemba, this wasn't one of those games where he had to hit, you know, five pick and roll threes coming off high ball screens and stuff like that. Like they were, they were moving Phoenix side to side and, and, and getting good looks. And yeah, just everyone had, you know, everyone had a productive game. Batum hits two threes. Marvin hits three. Jeremy Lamb hits five. Um, Malik Monk hits one. And they didn't get up a ton of attempts. And 34 is fine. It's actually a pretty good number. But yeah, I mean, hitting 16 of them and having 14 be off the catch is, is, is huge. And this was just a great shooting performance for Jeremy Lamb. Um, he, he scores 18 points on, on nine field goal attempts. So I also tweeted this out as well, too. Like, I think this may have been. Not just his best performance. I'm not even saying that. I'm going even more like esoteric. I think this was just Bismack Biombo's best game catching the basketball as a pro. Like he he just he got his mitts on everything. He seemed to haul in all but maybe one pocket pass. Yeah. Um well, that's maybe not the most effective usage of, of Biz in, in the half court is throwing him passes in space, but like I thought he played well in this game and gave them a presence that they needed 11 points 13 rebounds five blocks like five of seven yeah. shooting uh, i thought biz was great in this game and just a little i mean this is sort of interesting too as you know the hornets before zeller went down like that was the most that starting five that was the most played lineup in the nba and it still may be i need to double check but it was for a while uh 461 minutes with cody zeller jeremy lamb Kemba, Nick Batum, and Marvin Williams. The second most played lineup for the Hornets now with 90 minutes on the season has been Kemba Walker, Jeremy Lamb, Nick Batum, Marvin, and Biombo. Um, It has not fared great. Uh, 94 points per 100 possessions, (laughs) allowing 113 points per 100 possessions for a net rating of minus 19. So it's not great. But it's probably been better as of late. I would say, yeah, Yeah. I would say so. It probably didn't, you know, didn't do so hot against... uh, against the Pacers, which we can get into in a little yeah. bit here. Although, actually, I thought they played played pretty well the first five minutes of that game. The first five yeah, minutes? <laughs> yeah, that, seriously, that was yeah. about it. I mean, yeah. like, my notes are hilarious. It's like, hey, things are – they're going – they're playing pretty well. They're playing pretty well. And then it was like, oh, Miles Turner three, Miles Turner three. And it was like, oh, well, it's over already now. Darn it. Back to your point about Biombo, I, I thought he had a great game against the uh, the Phoenix Suns. And you, you made a mention of maybe this was his best game catching the ball, which I think is you know an interesting thought to have. And I know the game in, in Denver where uh, him and Devontae Graham were working that two-man game, uh, those were also some tough passes he had to catch, and he did a good job there. So um, it's, it's probably right up there in his top two or three games in terms of just, you know, corralling the ball on some of these passes because that's always been an issue with Biombo uh, since his Bobcat days. You pass him the ball down in the post, that thing is probably going to get fumbled uh, more often than not. And, you know, going back to the, to the game as a whole, this team had 313 total passes. Okay, we averaged 289 on the season. So uh, this is well above their average. They had 31 assists, which is third highest on the season. We had five secondary or hockey assists, if you want to call them, mm-hmm. on the game. So that's that's above their average as well. But guess what? Biombo was second on this team with 45 passes, which is crazy for me to see. Like, he's clearly getting the ball in his hands more often, so they're passing him the ball more often. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was almost looking, you know, not exactly, but kind of Cody-esque out there. You know, he had a couple of short rolls. He made a weak side pass, I think, early in the game where uh, they they doubled Kimba. He made this hard bounce pass Mm -hmm. to Biombo in the middle of the court, and he made a pass weak side, I believe, to Marvin. And then Marvin kicked it to Lamb, and then Lamb kicked it to Kimba, who made the three 
right before the uh, the shot clock buzzer went off. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's just making these reads a little bit better. And I know we kind of bagged on him, especially you earlier, uh, yeah. you know, several, yeah. several episodes ago. But he had this one play, and, and to your point, you mentioned this earlier uh, when we were talking about this game, and you know, when Phoenix would switch, there, there was opportunities for us to go backdoor. And he made this nice read to hit MKG on this backdoor pass where mm-hmm. there was like a staggered screen for Kemba in the corner. And there must have been a switch or miscommunication that was happening, but MKG shot right towards the basket. Biombo is handling the ball like he would like in a DHO, and he just makes this quick pass to MKG for the N1. So yeah. you can't use Biz in all the different ways that you can, Cody, clearly. But there are some aspects of the Phoenix game where I'm like, wow, he looks like he's playing Cody's role out there. You know, maybe outside of the side pick and roll. Mm-hmm. He was used in a variety of ways that just looked like Cody Zeller. So this was maybe his best game in terms of receiving the ball, but also just mm-hmm. making decisions as well. It probably helps that he does get a function with a good pick-and-roll point guard, like decision-maker and scorer, like Kemba Walker, too. So, like, you know, he's maybe going to get a few more inches of space on those rolls, you know what I mean? Which, uh-huh. can, you know, sometimes if you have a little bit more room, that maybe makes it easier to make a read or catch the ball or put it down one time, you know what I mean? And... I think it was last week's episode I, I made mention of just sort of like how his basically his lack of gravity as a roller is an issue when he's out there. And I think it caught up with them against the Pacers, who are an outstanding defense, you know, one yep. of the five best defensive basketball teams in the world right now. And, and they certainly played like it on Sunday night. But it's almost like you still got to, you know, I can't tell if this is one of those ideas that it it doesn't make any sense or it it makes sense simply because they have no other options, which is just like they got to throw him the ball, right? You've got to at least make a defender commit to him. You know what I mean? So you can at least force another rotation. You can't just have Kemba get trapped and keep the ball on one side of the court. You know what I mean? Like you've got to at least try. Um, And again, I think that caught up with them against, uh, against the Pacers who are a great team. And I thought for the most part, the Pacers just sort of walled off and just let Biombo catch it and then got after him after that. But Last three games, and of course, look, this is not against uh, great competition, uh, the specifically with the Kings and the uh, the Pacers. But last three games, 61 minutes with Biz on the court, Hornets 117 points per 100 possessions, defensive rating under 105 points per 100 possessions, and in the 73 minutes, or pardon me, in the 60 minutes with uh, Willie Aaron and Gomez. I mean, they sort of split that time down the middle. And I thought Ernie Gomez has had some rough games defensively recently, especially against the Spurs last week. But 115 points for 100 possessions with Willie out there, or Billy out there, and then 109 points for 100 possessions allowed. So net rating of plus five and a half, too. So, like, you know, it's they've gotten something good out of him. I just thought those dudes, I thought Zeller was really missed against the Pacers, but those guys played well against teams like the Kings and the, the Suns, who while young in the front court have some good front court players too, right? So I thought they did a good job handling guys like Aiton and Kali Stein. And um and yeah, I just thought I thought Aaron Gomez has done some nice stuff recently too. Yeah. I think I think both Biz and Ernan Gomez are uh, doing a whole lot better probably in the past four or five games and you're gonna need that to until, you know, Cody Zeller comes back. The last thing that I would like to bring up, late in the game, um, obviously we're up big garbage time minutes they put in bacon they put in graham they put in monk and then real late they pull biz and they put in billy so it's billy's in there bacon's in there graham is in there uh monk and i think someone else but anyway billy fouls out i would say Mm -hmm. you know with like 
two minutes left or something, under two minutes. So instead of putting Biz back in because, like, you just pulled him, or instead of putting Kaminsky in, they put MKG in at the five. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's odd but predictable because Kaminsky's not even getting playing time in these blowout games. So yeah. what, I guess I'm assuming, are they trying to save him for a trade, meaning they don't want to expose him or they don't want to injure him? Is like that's Is that their I thought mean, process? Because clearly they don't view him as somebody moving forward to actually help this team because they're not even using him in late-game situations. I would need to double-check this, and, and that thought has, inter- has entered my mind, Richie. I think since, and again, I need to double check if he has played. It's only been like once or twice in, in garbage time. But I do. Th- I'm pretty sure since the the story popped out that do you remember the story a few weeks ago with the trade rumors involving oh Kaminsky? yeah the sweetener like, yeah him like, as a sweetener. like yeah like I don't know if he's played since then. Um, I would need to double check if he again, like I said, if he has, it's been in garbage time once or twice at the, at the absolute most. Right. Now again, so I can't tell like I without having a you know any sort of like plug inside the organization or being around the team like I don't know if that is you know if that if that is Charlotte being frustrated by said rumor getting kicked out uh-huh. I don't know if that is Charlotte actually like viewing Kaminsky as a trade asset and therefore they are protecting him you right. know what I mean like he played decently for a little bit there that one stretch a few <laughs> weeks ago and. Maybe they, the the Hornets want to cap it there and say like, hey, look, his value couldn't get higher than it is. I mean, it's I, I don't know. I can't imagine there being much of a much demand for any for, for for Frank in a trade. And you know, if any if any other bigger move does happen, he would just be you know some sort of salary filler in the move. I don't I don't see him as like a, an asset going forward for for any team at the moment. Or it could also just be like, hey, it's just random. Like this guy wasn't really in the rotation. Biz is playing okay. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. They've got Aaron and Gomez, and yeah, they want to get to Marvin and MKG at the five and give them some minutes. It is a little interesting though that in the closing, you know, the these 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 dead minutes of a blowout right. win, that they would not go to him then, or that he wasn't already in in the first place. Like yes. that is a little that is a little surprising. That's that's and, where um, my thoughts come in. I, I mean, I, I don't. It doesn't. It doesn't surprise me or strike me as odd that he's not playing, but when it's we're up yeah. 20 and there's two minutes left and you put in Bacon and Graham, who've already been, I think, assigned back to Greensboro again, you're not even seeing Kaminsky play. It's, it's funny. I feel like even in preseason, he didn't get Very all little. that much burn. I mean, this this was part of this was sort of why I was a little surprised a couple weeks ago when he was getting minutes above Aaron and Gomez in the rotation. It was like, I, I don't, you know, you... you it's 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 tough for this guy to even to envision him being back in Charlotte next season. You know, Aaron and Gomez is under contract for next season if the Hornets want him at a at a lower cap number than 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 Kaminsky's cap hold. And so yeah, it was like a little surprising to randomly see him just all of a sudden again. He had played kind of well, and and obviously uh, Aaron did. and Gomez missed a few games too. That sort of helped. But yeah, this this that sort of adds to my that to what the general curiosity I had in the and like the. The seemingly random minutes that Frank was getting a, a couple weeks ago. Uh, again, I say seemingly. That's sort of the the important word there because, like, I'm sure, yeah, you know, I'm sure JB had a reason, reason for why he why he was doing that. Maybe a statement for Hernan Gomez. I don't know. For, perhaps, perhaps. And again, like you know, you know, Billy's done some nice things recently defensively. It's still uh, a ways away, but nice. Nah, he's got on the offensive glass four offensive rebounds against Phoenix, and I even like. Some of the stuff he's done in, in screen roll with, with Kemba and uh, and Malik, I think he's done pretty well in those regards. All right, BuzzBeat listeners, Blue Wire has a nice offer for all of you. 
You probably made a New Year's resolution. If you're planning to eat better, exercise more, be more patient, kinder, or whatever, it all starts with a good night's rest. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the four-pack special, and enter my promo code COZY, and you'll get two premium MyPillows and two Go Anywhere pillows. It's amazing what a difference a great pillow makes. If you go to MyPillow.com right now and click on their four-pack, shipping is absolutely free. That's right, no shipping cost. And don't forget about their 60-day money-back guarantee. There's nothing better than a gift of restorative sleep. Go to MyPillow.com, click on their four-pack special, and use my code COZY to get two premium MyPillows and two Go Anywhere pillows. MyPillow.com or call 800-966-1472. And remember, my promo code can be used for any offer on MyPillow.com. Again, that's promo code COZY. C-O-Z-Y. Brian, tell them about a show that they can use this pillow to curl up with and, and watch a little bit more about it. Yeah, it's like if uh, hopefully you've got a buddy to, to settle down and watch this show with. But if not, well, the, these pillows will certainly work, too. So, look, you've heard plenty of stories about drug cartels. They're they're all over the news. And, of course, uh, uh, you know, TV shows as well. But the crime ring you've probably never heard of is one of the most dangerous in the world. They are the Mennonite mob. You heard right. The Mennonites. 99% of them are kind, God-fearing people. But there's one group that has smuggled millions of dollars of narcotics from Mexico north of the border to Canada. Wednesday, starting January 23rd at 10, 9 central, WGN America presents the new TV series Pure, based on the true events of the Mennonite mob. This show is about Noah Funk, the newly elected Mennonite pastor who is determined to rid his community of the drug cartel, but he finds himself way and over his head. The good pastor, along with his wife, will do some very bad things, all in the name of protecting their family. Think of Pure as Breaking Bad meets Witness meets Narcos. I, I like all of those shows. Get hooked on Pure, Wednesdays starting January 23rd at 10, 9 central, only on WGN America. WGN America is available on DirecTV, channel 307, dish channel 239, or check your local cable listings for the channel. In your area. All right, let's get into the less exciting game of the two with the 120-95 loss to the Pacers in Indianapolis. Hornets didn't see the ball go through the hoop, and to be honest, a lot of them were good looks, they just didn't fall. Charlotte had a relatively low effective field goal percentage of 46.7, and they struggled to defend the three-point line as Indiana made 14 of 27 from deep. Hornets were led by Kimball Walker with 23 points, and Malik Monk was the second leading scorer with 11. So very dissimilar from the last game where you had a lot of players stepping up. Again, a big gap between Kimball Walker and that second leading scorer of Monk. So really not a lot of talk to talk about in this game. I don't think there's nothing that really is noteworthy in my eyes, but I'll start talking about Biombo's impact. I know that we just got through talking about him at Phoenix game, but you know I just kind of Looking at these two games together, I think he's done a good job of keeping possessions alive. He had five offensive rebounds, two loose ball recovered, and then mm-hmm. while it always didn't, you know, lead to second point, you know, second chance points, it's nice to see that this guy's coming in, filling in for Cody, and providing that hustle that we're accustomed to uh, from Cody. And you know, Biz Biz is trying to make the most of his opportunities right now, and I think he is. And I looked this up the last five games. Here are the Hornets' stats when Biz is on the court. Offensive rebounding percentage of 31.5. So just to give you guys a reference, Denver leads the NBA in offensive rebounding percentage with 32.2. 
Uh, again, this last five games with Biz. Offensive rating of 114, defensive rating of 101, net of plus 13. Charlotte has a true shooting percentage when he's out there on the court. So you don't think of Biz as this guy that's you know creating opportunities or allowing Charlotte to shoot the ball well. They have a true shooting percentage of 58.6, another very good number. And I guess another positive I can talk about is Miles Bridges. I think, you know, back-to-back threes at one point in this game, very Mm -hmm. similar plays. It was just like on different sides of the court. Billy sets a screen for Tony Parker. He rolls, and then Miles drifts a little bit up to the the top of the key, and he hit two above-the-bake threes. Basically, I think it was on back-to-back possessions. You know, we talk about Miles Bridges and Monk. We've talked about this before, kind of comparing the two players. And Miles seems to be the one that, you know, he'll, he'll still hit you with the highlight dunks, obviously, but he just plays within himself a little bit more. But I still feel he has a lot of ways to go when it comes to scoring off the dribble. I do love his aggressiveness and trying to get to the rim. Mm-hmm. He doesn't shoot the ball all too well around the off the dribble, I should say. Um, he's shooting just 19% on pull-up threes this year. Very, very, very low number. So, you know, we don't want this guy dribbling the ball too often unless it's attacking the basket. So, you know, any thoughts on Miles Bridges and how he's played recently? He's actually gotten more minutes recently. Uh, It feels like he's kind of almost working himself back in the rotation because I feel like he's going to be someone that could prove to be important uh, for that playoff push. No no doubt. I actually, like, hats off to Miles. Um we, I think he had sort of hit a bit of a wall uh, during the during the parts of that. I mean, he'd been sort of on the downslide for a little bit, but then later in that West Coast road trip, it, it started to get pretty pretty rough for him. And then he bounced back uh, at San Antonio, and I think he's been pretty solid ever since then. Those types of threes that he got uh, against Indiana on on Saturday are there. That's perfect, like the perfect second side kind of player you want him to be, right? Like. There, there's action going to the hoop. He's he's spacing out, throw it to him, and he either takes the three or if not, he he creates off the dribble. And I think he's he's shown some of that. Like he's shown a little bit of gusto recently. You know, putting the ball in the hoop, and if he doesn't get all the way to the rim, he's got like a little floater game that he can work on. He can use both hands. Um, yeah, yeah. Like he's got he's clever and he's he's got some ability. The guy isn't just um, you know a straight line driver. Like there's a little bit of wiggle to his game, a little bit. And, and the fact that he can go finish with both hands or, or settle into, you know, mid-range attempts and, and stuff like that, like, and use the glass, like, he's just got a little bit of skill. You look at him, and he's so athletic, and he's so just a, such a strong player. I think you sort of expect him to be a little bit of just, like, a cannon on drives. But he can, he can make some stuff happen. And I just think, like, he gives this team they, – they, you know, he and MKG really do give them – everyone feeds off of Kemba and, and Marvin – but I think those two dudes coming off the bench, Bridges and MKG, like they give this team – MKG is sort of like the heart and soul. And it, Miles is sort of the guy that keeps everybody young and energetic. And and I think that's important for them. He got his seventh alley-oop dunk of the season uh, against the Pacers on Sunday. The four of those have been assisted by Malik Monk. Good to see, see, good to see those guys get out in the open court and do their thing. I'd like to see even more of Miles in the open court. Can I, can I add something real quick? I meant to mention yeah. this during the Phoenix game, but that alley-oop from Miles to uh, – I'm sorry, from Monk to Miles in the Phoenix game, Yeah, I, I do want to give a lot of credit to, to Monk in this case. He was pushing the pace, and I, it might seem like a little thing, but he switched the ball to his left hand. And it seems like it held the defenders, you know, Booker, I think T.J. Warren was also in, in the picture, 
we thought for maybe a split second that Monk was going to be driving to the left in that direction, but I think it was Monk's decision to do that to kind of hold them off from Miles, who was on the right side mm-hmm. of the court. So just something very small like that, that uh, you know Monk did in transition there that led to that alley-oop it was perfect, it was perfect. But yes, keep going. Yeah, it's uh, again, and and I just it's it's nice to see Bridges that before the All Star game and, it, and the news is coming out with him, he's going to be in the dunk contest, which is cool. It's uh it's been nice to see him his his play pick up a little bit. And uh, look, you know, he played well in San Antonio. Maybe coming back, Charlotte has has helped him out, and um, you know, he gets a few more days off to sort of rest up and recuperate. But maybe he's catching that the a, a second wind of sorts. So I think that was good. I think in this Pacers game, I tweeted this out last night, like. I thought they really missed the two-way versatility of Zeller at center. Like, there are times when I watch the Hornets play now where I think if you could just smash the best parts of Aaron and Gomez and Biombo together, you know, <laughs> you'd have this, like, really useful – but, like, they're they're both a bit of DHs, you know what I mean? Um, where they, they do – what you know, Willie's versatile offensively. He's got some upside there, but defensively he's a problem. And, uh, and I mean, Biombo has issues on both ends of the court, but he plays so hard and he's, he's active at the rim. He, he, he can like move a little bit. You just think if you could give Billy some of that, you know, if you could, again, if you could just average the two, you'd have like a really useful center. But I thought without Zeller, um, it was too easy for the Pacers offensively, uh, when, when, especially when Aaron Gomez was in and it was it was just tough for the I mean look it's going to be tough for the Hornets to score at all like the Pacers they're third in the NBA in defensive efficiency yeah. this is a really good team just behind i mean you know tenths of a point behind Utah and Oklahoma City like this is a good team couple other quick things from this game to Hornets get up they the Hornets go just uh 11 of 31 on three-point attempts without a defender within four-plus feet. So that's down from the Phoenix game the night before. The Hornets inside the restricted area, 14 of 24, only 24 attempts, which is not a big number. They get seven of those blocked. And, like, Miles Turner had a couple just nasty. I mean, look, Miles Turner is trying to build a case for defensive player of the year, um, certainly all-NBA defensive-level center. And he, I thought he was incredible last yeah. night. Um, and the Hornets in the paint, non-restricted area, three of fourteen, only twenty-one percent. So not. I mean, the Pacers just built a wall at the hoop, you know. And, and that's the, the thing with the Pacers. Like, yeah, I mean, if if you can't make your open shots or you can't make your shots from deep, trying to drive in there with Miles Turner on the back end, it's it's game over. It's game it's over. It's tough. It's tough. And I thought, I actually thought, like I said earlier in the well in this recording, like I thought the first five to six minutes. Thought they played. Thought the Hornets like played them all right. Like I thought they were. I actually have a. I have a note from this game. Uh, I thought the first quarter defense was pretty good, and then when they went to and again look all season they're trying to toy around with you know how do how do Miles Turner and Sabonis play together right like that that's sort of like one of these existential things the Pacers are trying to figure out just like the Jazz have been trying to do with Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors the the Jazz are just sort of at the end of that experiment, the Pacers are really just getting started with this one. That has not been a great pairing so far this season for the Pacers offensively. Defensively, very good. Yeah. Um, it's no surprise. Uh, but offensively, it's been right around one point per possession. So not great. They've, they've had issues there, in part because, like, Turner doesn't really space out and shoot. Like, he can shoot threes, um, but he, he loves to settle in for mid-range attempts. But last night, Miles Turner, man, he got up. Uh, five three-pointers, hit three of them. and I think with, all three were in the first quarter. Yeah, they were. I think they were, like, right at one yeah. right at. And that yep. was in the game. It was just like 
the game went from being a possession apart to a 15 point lead for the Pacers. <laughs> just like, it was like, oh my God, this is over. This happened so quickly. But in eight minutes last night, with Sabonis and Turner on the court together, the Pacers score 213 points per 100 possessions. And so they score over two points per possession in eight minutes with those guys on the court. And uh, they allow only 107 points for 100 positions for a net rating of 106 <laughs> within the eight minutes with uh, with Turner and uh, Sabonis on the court. 97% uh, effective shooting, 98% true shooting. Um, yeah, I mean, they just they just destroyed uh, the Hornets with those guys out there. And I even thought, too, in the first the first quarter uh, when Sabonis first came in. They're running this little play where uh, Sabonis would go set a set a pin down screen on the weak side for Doug McDermott, and he'd curl into the middle of the lane, and they'd force Aaron and Gomez to make a decision. And it seemed like every time, like he was just slipping passes to Sabonis, or if it wasn't there initially, they'd reset and go into a handoff, and then go pick and roll from there. And it was like there was like three straight possessions the Pacers ran it on. I think they scored, or at least got to the free throw line on on all of those. Just like it, just you know, look the Hornets, man, they like. They struggle with dribble penetration. They struggle on stuff like that, especially when when Billy's out there. And you know, again, it, Zeller makes that an easier thing. And I, I would rather just—I don't think there's any need to like trap or go hard at McDermott off mid-range pin downs. Like he's going to make that shot 50% of the time, you know, whatever. But like, let him have it. You know what I mean? As opposed to having Sabonis wide open going to the hoop mm -hmm. on a roll. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I just didn't think that was uh, quite enough. Last thing I would sort of throw out about this game, too. A good game for Oladipo. And look, when the Pacers defend like that, when you can't hit open shots, Oladipo finally, you know, after you know not being able to score 20-plus points for a while, he got it going last night. And, you know, when Turner's hitting threes, like, you're just – a lot of teams aren't going to beat them. You know, they're, they're, they're one of the best basketball teams in the world for that very reason, even on the second night of a back-to-back. But the, the thing that I wanted to bring up was this was not exactly a highlight performance from Malik Monk. It, look, I, I sort of know that the Hornets need someone other than Kemba to force the issue a little bit and get into the paint. And look, Malik hit two threes. Uh, one of those was in it was in garbage time. But he had three turnovers, including one where he he drove and just threw the ball. I mean, it was just like just yeah. like here, Indiana. Here's a fast break. Like go go get a layup. You talking about the one in the fourth quarter? Or do yeah. You, yep. Yeah. I mean, look, the game was out of hand at that yeah. point. But um, you know, look I, again. We 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 talked Malik so many times on this show, but this was one of this was one of those performances that if you're in the camp that I don't put myself in this camp, uh, but if you're in the if you're in the group that thinks like. Man, I don't know if it's ever going to click with Malik. And again, he's just, you know, he's just about to go on 21 here in a little bit. And again, I still, I still, I still like Monk as a player and as a prospect. I think there's a lot of untapped ability there. Yeah, this was this was one of those games you would point to and say like, where's he at? Like they're like yeah. he just he's just driving into traffic and throwing up stuff and hoping it works out. There's no real plan. That's the thing with Monk. You you see some of these passes he does make and. They almost look borderline wild, like just like, what are you doing? He leaves his feet, he makes these passes out, and then when he does make a turnover out of it, you're just almost like, well, yeah, we saw that coming. He does this all the time. So, yeah, yeah I know exactly what turnover you're talking about. I, I made a note of it as well. Just just a wild pass that just led to a, a fast break the other way. And the Hornets had 16 turnovers in total. Kind of what I noted, the, the turnovers almost felt like they were came in spurts, like short little spurts. They would just, it was contagious. They would make like three 
turnovers within a matter of two minutes. Like it, it just came in quick little spurts, and they're passing uh, completely different from the, the Suns game. I thought that game was obviously one of their better passing games in, yeah. in the passing department. But, you know, yeah. no statistical data to back this up, but I thought the Hornets passing were just like off target, like meaning shooters would catch it high, catch it low. Yeah. So even if they it, were it, open, they couldn't even – they couldn't even, uh, you know, take a shot because the the defenders would close the gap. And look, the Pacers are a, they're a great defensive team. Like they'll they'll they're long at, at some of these positions, right. and, and they'll put they'll put you in, in bad spots. And they're just they're just active, and they've just got like a lot of good defenders and stuff like that. I thought I would have liked to have seen. Like I understood why Charlotte was wary of trying it because. You know, it's Marvin on the second night of a back-to-back. So, like, you know, Ken, you know, you don't want to overtax him too much. But I just thought they could have used a different – like someone else at the center spot. And not – they didn't go to Marvin until maybe late at, at – Marvin at five until the fourth quarter, I want to say. And right away, the Pacers posted up Sabonis. You know, like they went right after that mismatch. But I just would have liked to have seen it a little bit earlier because I just didn't think, again, I keep beating this drum. I just didn't think they were getting enough two-way impact from um, Biz from Biz and from, from Aaron and Gomez. And so I would have liked to have seen. And then, again, if you think it's too much to put on Marvin's plate, and I guess maybe, you know, I'd like to see, I'd like to say get creative and try MKG. But I, I could see why you're like, dude, against Sabonis, like they'll just post Sabonis. He'll score every time, and if a double comes, then he'll pass to the open shooter perfectly every time, too. Like, it was a tough situation to put him in um, on the second night of a back-to-back. I mean, Tony, I, I was actually a little – I thought – actually, that you know, Parker played both nights, but I went into this weekend wondering, you know, if Tony doesn't play – if he's not, not if he's still not doing back-to-backs, I was, like, a little surprised that he played Saturday against the Suns. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. then I thought, I thought there was a chance they might sit him against Phoenix, give Graham all the backup yeah. one minutes. And then play him, but I guess with you know they don't play until Wednesday, so they've got all Monday off, all Tuesday off. They're not traveling far; they're just going from Indiana to Memphis. That you know, I could see maybe they're um, you know I could see them being like, hey, we'll just uh, you know we, we feel fine playing him on back to back nights. Real quickly, want to stick this in here too with because uh, I because I, I I went back and forth with um, an old colleague of mine who is a Buzzbeat listener. This guy Pal Latimer, who used to cover the ACC for the Greensboro News and Record, and Shout out, pal. He's a he's a good dude. He and I were talking about MKG a little bit, and then Spencer on Monday morning tweeted out MKG's numbers um, from three point shooting. So MKG eight of eighteen on three corner three point attempts, two of eight from above the break. Um, he stepped in and hit a few of them recently. He's also had a couple. He's had like three or four corner shots this year where like his toe has just been on the line. Like he's been like they should have been threes, yeah. you know what I mean? But it is. His right toe was just on the line when he stepped in to take it. But, like, now we're at the point – I think it's either 12 or 13% of MKG's shots this year have been three-pointers. That's up from 4% a year ago. Richie, Randall, is it crazy if I get op- <laughs> if I'm get- if I get optimistic about the three-point shooting capabilities of MKG? Not this season, right? Not this season. But what about, what about 2019, 2020? Do we, do we think we can live in a world where – you know, a quarter of Michael Kidd Gilchrist's shot attempts are three pointers, oh, and he gosh. hits him at a he hits him in the mid thirties like that. Look, it seems it's we've all as people that that follow the Hornets, cover the Hornets, whatever. We've all been down this rabbit hole before of like, yo, is MKG as a shooter ever going to become a thing? And I, I think too many times everyone has said like, 
you know, that ship has sailed. That ship is totally gone. Like we got to think about, we just got to focus on what he does well and blah, blah, blah. Are you getting a little excited though with some of the three point efficiency from one MKG this summer or this season? Yeah, I mean a little bit, a little bit. I don't know if I would go out on the limb and say that uh, a quarter of his shots uh, will come from that department. You know, yeah. maybe fifteen or twenty percent. I could see yeah. that. The, I guess the good thing about him, it feels like he's not hesitating. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, totally. He's ca- catching it in totally. the corner and shooting. So he that to me plays a big role. Just confidence in your shot. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we we talked about MKG and just how he's. We never thought he could become this, and as the podcast has progressed, it, we, we are getting a little bit more and more excited about his potential from behind the arc, and he came into the league with, you know, all these issues with his shooting, mm-hmm. but I don't, know if, I don't know if the ship has sailed, per se. Like, I feel like, you know, he's still young, but he has yeah, he some is. years under his belt. He's 25. Yeah, but... <laughs> crazy. Golly, I don't know. I, I can't see him ever shooting... 36 plus yeah. percent though like that's i know yeah. i know I, I can't either and i don't i'm not i'm sort of uh, i'm sort of playing you know devil's advocate a little bit here just based off some of his recent numbers but like nine and 24 on wide open threes this year 38 percent 10 percent of his field goal attempts have been wide open threes. so look even when he's taking threes like they've got he's got to have a mountain of space right to get it off um but i just think there's enough it's the first time in a long time since maybe that that really short 2015-2016 season where he was, uh, you know, missed missed basically all but seven games with shoulder injuries. And um, I think this is the first time since then you could feel a little bit more confident about about that possibility. I wouldn't bet money on it happening, and I'm probably getting a little bit ahead of myself here. But, like, look, man, he's 10-29 on threes this year. That's nothing crazy. But 37% off the catch – and he's taken, I mean, he's taken 75 total three-pointers his entire career, and 29 of them have been this season. Yeah. I just, I think that plus him at the four now, like, he's just a <laughs> just a really interesting player now. Um, he's evolved. I think it's, I mean, he has evolved, and Spencer early in the year used the word uh, enabled. And I think this is what has happened with uh, Borrego coaching this team, is that it's just, it's, you know, it's allowed some of these guys to sort of branch out, try new things, feel inspired and confidence to, to go uh, to go do something new. And um, I just can't say enough. This guy, the guy has cleared every every goal you could have had for him halfway through the season. I'm really imp- impressed yeah. with MKG. He brings it every night in a new role, and he's shown off even some, some new skills too. So, again, don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but – impressive nonetheless and i think this offseason will be huge yeah I, I think it's a good positive thought to have i think it's opti- on the optimistic side it is. Uh, but yeah. but i definitely feel he has kind of turned a page in his career and is evolving like i said so we're gonna go from optimistic to maybe more depressing we got a twitter question to kind of wrap this show up from at hornets underscore fan underscore maybe this is just too depressing of a thought uh, but can you name one team that is competing that you'd like to see Kemba play for if he were to be traded? So I'll just kind of start off, and we'll, we'll kind of go rapid fire through this because we're kind of up against the yeah, clock yeah. here. And by no means are Brian and I saying these are the trades that we're seeking. We're just saying if there were a team out there that we would like to see Kemba play for, whether it was for fit or just wanted to see him compete a little bit more, um, maybe these are the teams that we would throw out. So 
I'm gonna I'm gonna just list three. Uh, first off, Lakers. Uh, even though they're yeah. you know out of the playoff picture, uh, injury uh-huh. injuries are piling up. Lonzo Ball yeah. uh, is injured, uh, but I just think it'd be cool to see him and LeBron play together, especially with the amount of praise that James kind of has given to him over the years. Yeah. But it would be kind of odd to see him reunite with Lance, which is mm-hmm. a to- totally different situation. But if I was going to go for a team that was a little bit more in contention than the Lakers that could use his services, maybe the Pacers, like the team that we just played, uh, mm-hmm. or even the Jazz, uh, who could both use a kind of a point guard that can get yeah. that could score the ball. You know, regardless, like we said, this is this is not something that we would want to see or be fun to see him on these teams. Yeah. But he does deserve to be playing on a team that makes it past the first round of the playoffs. So I'm sure that's why this question was was sent in. The thing that the thing about Kemba is he can fit on every team, right? He, he, this guy is a, a point guard that can shoot forty plus percent off the catch, and he can create his own shot. Um, he competes on both ends. He plays with great spirit. The guy can fit on any team in the world, right? He, defensive liabilities be damned. Like he's just got so much offensive firepower. Mm-hmm. Last season, around this time a year ago, maybe like December twenty seventeen, we did our first like, hey, let's talk, let's talk about trades for Kemba thing. The two teams that I brought up were the Pacers and the Jazz. Those were the two teams that I had huh. uh, fictional I, trades. Lined I remember up the Pacers, for. but I forgot forgot about the Jazz. Jazz too, because it was the same same things. And look, like the Pacers are getting good stuff out of Collison, but like last year in the playoffs, they needed him to shoot more, and it just he just wasn't shooting. And man, Kemba plus Oladipo plus Bogdanovich plus Young and Turner, and then Sabonis and McDermott and Evans off the bench, like. I might like that team to win the Eastern Conference. You know what I mean? Like right yeah. up there with yeah. Toronto in, in Milwaukee. Um, the Jazz, they're 26 and 21. Rudy Gobert's been amazing. But if you could you imagine, I mean, Donovan Mitchell and Kemba in the same backcourt with Gobert rolling, Corver spacing the floor, Joe Engel spacing the floor, Jay Crowder. I mean, like they could just throw out some killer lineups. Yeah. With, with Kemba, and it would take so much. Pre- Mitchell could become a secondary creator guy, and Kemba could play off of him and get some more looks. And Kem- Kemba could play off of Ingles as well. You know, totally. Because Ingles, Ingles can run a pick and roll, and he's an amazing spot up shooter, too. And just like Kemba and Gobert, I mean, it, Gobert would be the best rim running center Kemba's ever played with before, and vice versa. Like, yeah. like the, you know, the. It would be the same for both ways. Neither one. I mean, I, I like Ricky Rubio a lot, but neither one of those guys has played with some. And I like Cody Zeller a lot too. On the flip side, but those guys haven't played with someone that good. Um, and then if I had to, I, like, I just think to run real quickly Philadelphia because I think he'd fit with. He'd help them. They need they need shooting desperately. And then you know, obviously Simmons is probably going to have to come out late, you know, in playoff games because it's free throw. Like you know, they're just going to hack a Simmons. That and just like I mean, Simmons can also guard everybody, but just like the 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 Kemba, Redick, Butler, Simmons, and Bead lineups would be just <laughs> they would they would just be killer, you know. And the two man game with Embiid and Kemba would be amazing. Uh, if I had to pick, I'd say definitely the Pacers and definitely the Jazz, where there is like the biggest need. For uh, for point guard yep. scoring, point guard offense, and those teams would just like man, the, the Jazz all of a sudden they become a top four seed in the West. And seriously, I think the Pacers become like one of the best. Like they already are one of the four or five best teams in the East, but I think they they jump another level, obviously with Kemba over Collison. All right, thanks again for joining us on episode eighty eight of Buzzbeat. When you see this, please give this a retweet on Twitter and get this out to as many people as possible. Again, we appreciate all the support so far uh, and big things to come uh, in 2019. For Brian, I am Richie. Go Hornets. Go Hornets.